Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle's public safety voice, and by Heart to Heart Medical Supply. Heart to Heart is an American company offering FDA-registered respirator masks at the lowest prices. Heart to Heart offers free same-day shipping, and by using the promo code DELTA at checkout, you can receive 5% off your entire order. Visit hearttoheart.com. That's H-A-R-T, the number two, H-A-R-T dot com. Heart to Heart, where great masks are just a click away. Well, there's drug dealing, pushing, uh, manufacturing, tons of sex trafficking. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Got a fight. Hold the line! Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Today in studio, have two very special guests, Andrea Suarez and Kevin Dahlgren from We Heart Seattle. And I think you're going to like this conversation as we get into the homeless issue that has enveloped Seattle the public safety crisis that we are all experiencing. And these two individuals, I think, bring it through compassion and their efforts to change people's lives fundamentally. And we're going to expose what's happening in this city in terms of how much money the tax base is spending to these homeless programs. And it is my pleasure to welcome in studio these two people that are truly humbling and, in my eyes, heroes in our community Welcome to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Mike, for having us. Absolutely. Kevin, how are you doing over there? Great. Thanks, Mike, for yeah. having me. So earlier today, you guys were out doing what you do almost on a daily basis. Walk me through what you did, what, what you did today and that what we all did just a little bit ago. Yeah, thanks for coming out today, Mike, and getting your boots on the ground. Uh, today, we organized a litter pick up on Beacon Ave South, which should be the VA encampment uh, next to the VA hospital up there for veterans that are in and out of the hospital experiencing homelessness. It's a, a camp that's typically very safe and very clean, but over the last couple of years is degraded. And so we go in there and offer waste management services and have been doing that for over a year. And uh, in doing that, we also provide outreach when the, when the moment strikes. So today we probably cleared about 4,000 pounds of trash and then Seattle Public Utilities happened to come around and, and picked all that trash up for us. It's excellent. So, Kevin, were you there with Andrea today, and how did that, how'd that go? So how, how do you guys link up? And I think maybe that starts the conversation is that you guys represent We Heart Seattle. It's what you started. And so today you're there with Andrea, and so how many people did you have as far as volunteers, and how many people do you think you actually touched their lives today in a positive way? And, and let me back up. First, uh, with any cleanup, what we like to do is go there beforehand, talk with the homeless and the houseless, let them know that we're coming. How can we help, you know, services they're interested in, places we can clean, kind of basically get the buy-in from the camps. That's a very important piece. With all the controversy surrounding the cleanups, we want to get the buy-in. So if anyone ever criticizes us, we'll be like, look, actually, we've spoke with everybody, and everyone's supportive of this. And so we usually go there beforehand, if not a couple hours before, uh, days before, and sometimes just building those relationships, building that trust. And so today we went there and what we actually found was uh, 
multiple homeless living there wanted to help for free just to clean up the camps because they're tired of the rats. And so we did actually offer them money, which we always have gift cards for them if interested. But they said, no, we just want to, uh, we want to help you clean because it's the right thing to do. And again, a lot of these homeless individuals, well, some are connected to the VA right behind them and our vets and believe in having a clean camp. But other homeless that come there have a much dirtier camp bring in the problems, the drugs, yeah. the messes, the rotting food, all that stuff. So they were more than happy to have us there today. They helped us with those, you know, the three to 4,000 pounds of trash we picked up today. And, um, uh, Really, just with volunteers, it took, you were there, it's like less than an hour. We got so much done in such a short period of time. So 4,000 pounds in about an hour's time. So I think that, you know, your words and what you guys did today, and I saw what you were wearing. So you started We Heart Seattle. Let's, I think, what, it's about 18 months now? Is that, is that right? So tell the audience real quick that don't know or have slightly heard of We Heart Seattle. Why did you start We Heart Seattle and why that name and then we'll get into, but how many people you've welcomed into your outreach and just illustrate to us the kind of work you do. And we'll get into the other issues as well. So September 14th, I was walking down Stewart Avenue and... This is 2020? This is uh, 2020 and... I'm not a crybaby. I defended Seattle to every hater that was like, I'm done with Seattle. I'm leaving, you know, sick of the politics, sick of the leaders, sick of the crime, sick of the uh, leadership and just complain, complain, complain. And I was like, I love my city. Yeah. You know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> and I actually became that person on September 14th. And I, I vividly remember that day. And I'm like, what is going on with the city? You know, it, was wildfire week. Um, nobody was out. The blight was in full front. And I broke down and was like, I guess I'm going to be a part of the mass exodus. And I went home that after that night. And by t the next morning, We Heart Seattle was birthed and we created our Facebook page. And I was like, I love the city too much. And we started organizing litter pick events. So, so you, had, you had an epiphany, if you will, right? So, it was like, a so, bolt. so you're walking around. You had the the wildfire smoke in the air. You saw all the, just the just the the epitome of just garbage everywhere, right? The 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 blight, and just your overall persona, the the emotional side of it's like, oh my god, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. And then you go home, but you change course, and that's where the fight came out of you, right? So walk me through that decision because that's a that's a big transition with I would say what in a matter of hours where and you're like emotionally done and you go back and then you have that internal communication with yourself. How did that feel and walk us through that? Yeah, it was a very very powerful moment. It was the pivotal moment of my life in this life-changing journey we've been on in a year and I have been out every single day with exception of a few days for this entire year boots on the ground, I became a service, a community service member. You know, it was like once you get into service, I'm sure you know, you're gripped by it. And you see that you're able to make a daily difference. And those daily differences started to get momentum. And I realized the entire community was stepping into this live wire for change. change. People wanted change. People wanted to find a way to help. And the, 
So like your first day, what was, what was that? Like, did you just grab a garbage bag and just started picking up trash? How did that work? <laughs> so my friends helped me create a Facebook page. That was the starting point. Um, and we just started walking down Bell Street every day. And I was looking at condemned buildings and graffiti projects, calling SPU, SPR, getting to know Councilman Lewis at the time, you know, invite, inviting city leaders to join me on walkabouts, like help me understand why my alley looks this bad or the graffiti's this bad or this condemned building's allowed to remain this way. And it started out just trying to educate people about the Find It Fix It app, how to call Which in. is a city app and that community, if they, they see a problem, they call in or they go to the app itself on their phone and to report a problem. Report a problem. I printed it on cards. I, um, my cards also include the Metropolitan Improvement District, phone number, which is the downtown ambassadors. Like if we all just learn to use the city services, well then, you know, if we all got all hands on deck, maybe we could have a cleaner Seattle. Well, quickly realizing there needed to be more than that. And I started doing my, you know, rather than calling the city, calling the find it, fix it app, calling my mayor, writing a million letters to the council, like we all did. And that fell flat. Yeah. So basically it didn't really answer you back. Correct. No. And that's a lot of people have that takeaway. It's like, nobody's listening. Okay, so that was part of your, so you got proactive and you're telling people in the community that are just as fed up as you are, but you're doing something about it. You're sharing the city services that are supposed to work for this problem. But you put boots on the ground and you become basically, I would say, your community's advocate. Yep. I became an advocate, um, we started our first organized litter pick October of last year. It started down in Denny Park. Um, we did have a Councilman Lewis out there for the first couple meetings. And by January 16th, we were on our way, on our way to restoring our Central Park of Seattle. And that's what really catapulted. Which we, is Denny Way. Yeah, Denny, Denny Way Park. Denny Park. Uh, we Heart Seattle had a lot of momentum already, but that really put us over the edge in terms of the community and the businesses realizing, you know, we're not going anywhere. And we made that difference by engaging our community and engaging our volunteers to come out every day and help clean and do outreach. Well, and, the, and the irony of that is that's the headquarters of Seattle Parks and Rec. That's right, right there. And they've got what hundreds of year old trees that yep. are in that park. And it's like, to your point, it's right in the heart of Seattle. So hence, we heart Seattle. I mean, we started getting requests to go clean up Dr. Jose Rizal Dog Park at Beacon Hill. West Seattle was calling. Ballard was calling. People in Green Lake were calling. Bring your volunteers to our park next, please. And then we just kept growing our volunteer base and our social media outpour was just more and more and more when we started being like the go-to as a volunteer platform to restore parks. And so uh, what I admire about you is that you put your name to it. You put your, even your personal phone number. I know when I started talking to you, I was balancing what was happening to me and my role. And then just shocked that you were that forthcoming with your personal phone number, who you are. I mean, that is ultimate buy-in. And I'm coming from a cop perspective. I'm like, oh my God, you got to protect yourself because I'm, because I was getting doxxed during that time. But that tells me that gives me so much more respect for you because you're a bulldog. You don't care. You care to a degree, meaning you're putting your personal 
uh, attacks out of the way for your faith and love of this city. And you're not allowing those activists to stop your actions, correct? Correct. Yeah, we're, we'll definitely get to the, the pushback. We started the web page. We started the Facebook page. I personally wrote a $25,000 check and put it into the We Heart Seattle bank account as my stake to the city. Your own money. Mm-hmm. And I did not know you put 25K. I love the city. It was my personal commitment to my volunteers, to the city, to city leaders, that this is my investment. And my now it's a bona fide 501c3 nonprofit, not even a year later, with donations that are coming in from people who I don't even know who love Seattle as much as I do. And please don't stop doing what you're doing. You know, this is the second time on this podcast that I've gotten chills. And I just saw myself as a mouth breather because I had my mouth open when you just told me that you <laughs> dropped 25K. We'll get of this. your own money. Yep. What? Thankfully, my husband and I have separate budgets. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still married. Yeah, barely. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Dante. I haven't really spoken to him in a year. Bless his heart. But, but what should really give you chills is when I got the beer koozies with the We Heart Seattle logo. Beer That's koozies. when it got real. Yeah. Got In fact, we should be having beers now. But <laughs> So we branded. We got branded masks. We got branded vests. We got business cards. We organized, which believe it or not, the radical left activist group criticized us for being organized and having a, a badge-like logo. I'm like, it's a heart. <laughs> um, but anarchists that have a very loud voice in our city, um, you know, don't believe in organization and don't believe in capitalism. They don't believe in cops. They don't believe in many things. And they don't believe in We Heart Seattle. And so funny enough, and, and I had no idea this was coming, but I on one fateful day, January 1st, I was out at Miller Park by myself. It's in Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill is a, a playground, soccer ground, um, community center around by Seattle Parks and Rec. was... In, enveloped by a homeless encampment, and I went out there to scout a litter pick and start to get to know people so we could plan a, a volunteer event out there. And some folks were out there serving hamburgers with mounds of trash around them and debris and strewn. And who are these people serving hamburgers? These are a group of people, and they call themselves mutual aid, everyday everyday people in everyday clothes in a non-organized fashion who come out and serve food and supplies to tent side to homeless encampments, typically in parks. I kind of call them mutual aid hipsters because I don't see them very often down here in Soto. They like to serve people in parks and keep them very comfortable there. And so that fateful day, I I said, you know, you're enabling people to stay in the park. And that is when the shade started. That's when it launched. They did not like being called enablers. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that was a dirty word. uh, But I was like... If you're going to provide restaurant service, please pick up the trash. So it's you a reasonable request, you know, and the rest kind of launched from there. That interaction got uh, passed to somebody who is a wonderful uh, tabloid writer, and uh, basically associated me with other, <laughs> not other, just associated me. And so that's how the shade started. Yeah, and then it got twisted into. You know, Andrea expects people to pick up trash for food and doesn't think people 
should have basic needs as food. And I I even Spokane passed a law. You can't bring food and harm reduction into city parks because the food and the needles in parks. It's a health hazard. It's a health hazard. And, you know, if any, you know. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll, we'll get into the 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 shade part because it really is, it illustrates the hypocrisy of these activists, right? So Kevin, you, you briefly spoke about your connection with Andrea, but so how did you two link up and why did this become such, uh, I think, an endeavor on your part as to, we heard her side of why she had buy-in here. What brings you into this We Heart Seattle? Well, right when Andrea by herself was starting this movement, very soon after, I watched Seattle is Dying, that okay. powerful documentary. A Como 4. Yes. I went online and commented on it with my opinions and felt it was just, it touched me because I've worked in social services for about 25 years now, specifically working with the homeless population at a variety of nonprofits, for-profits, faith-based programs, and even the uh, state and county level and city, actually. And made some comments to kind of just offer, in, in my opinion, what was wrong with the system. You know, why is this system so dysfunctional? So like what system are you referring to? The social services. Social services. Why is it that every year they ask for more money, but every year the problem continues to grow? And the reason why these questions need to be asked is if that's occurring, then maybe money isn't the solution. Maybe it's our approach. Maybe we need to change the way we look at it. Maybe we need to just think differently. Maybe, you know, we gave, we gave them a chance and it didn't work, so let's try something different. That's all it is. And I was very inspired by that documentary, made some comments. Someone saw it, read what I had to say, and she emailed me and said, you remind me of this lady in Seattle named Andrea. You guys are very similar the way you speak. And I was like, Andrea, who's Andrea? So I did my research. So lo and behold, this is, she's three to four weeks into her movement. I reached out to Andrea directly and immediately we connected. I was very inspired with what she was doing because she was going at it alone and just making really big differences, which is something I've always done too. Sometimes a lot of the work I've done, I've sometimes in the beginning done it alone because not everybody always agreed. And I got, you know, it's amazing I'm still in the system as long as I've been in because multiple employers have told me uh, directly, Kevin, stop going above and beyond. I've been told this as if that was a bad thing when I was just every day hell bent on trying to make a difference, trying to end this humanitarian crisis, finding a way, but working for programs and systems that did not want that to occur, it seemed. And every time I made a difference and went above and beyond, rather than me commended, I would get in trouble. And so oftentimes people would refer to me as Kevin's going rogue (laughs) is, you know, I'm going outside uh, what the grant, what the grant, you know, the, the, the grant called for. But sometimes you need to do that because most programs are funded by grants and with grants come restrictions and oftentimes it's just restrictions which prevents us from doing almost anything that's actually anything near of making a real true difference so they're still trying to control basically the narrative and the actions yes 
And so Andrea and I talked, I immediately connected with her and was very inspired by her, came here almost immediately, stood with her at Denny Park, that faithful morning, early November, surrounded by 64 tents. And her and I looked at each other and said, let's restore, let's reclaim this park. Let's do this. And we agreed this was going to be our first big project. And so we spent every day there getting to know the homeless, houseless population and, uh, you know, getting a strong feeling with who was there, who had other housing, which tents were storage, which were actively being lived in, and just really getting, just being a part of that community in a sense to really understanding what's going on, right? Because that's kind of the secret is being at the boots on the ground level is being there every day and just being a part of that community. That's a huge piece. That doesn't mean sitting in your car, handing them a sandwich and speeding off. That means standing there with them in the cold and learning their situation and what's really going on, building that trust. Building that trust is extremely important because for our homeless, houseless population, there's a strong mistrust in the system because the fact is, uh, the system in many ways has let them down, right? Because the fa- there's a lot of homeless who legitimately want help and are not getting it, right? What they're being offered are things that it's, it's more to keep them comfortable on the streets rather than resources to get them off the streets, right? There's this whole system in place to just make them more comfortable. And Harm I, reduction. I, yeah, so Harm I, reduction. I think what you're describing then is the uh, people have referred to it like the Seattle um, homeless industrial complex. Yes. The system. And I have been doing really, I actually, it started with my church group. I was going, working at food pantries, food kitchens when I was 16 years old in the late eighties. So you've got history of just helping. So even from an early on with my church, I was doing this. And then that kind of inspired me when I was in college to continue doing this because I felt like this was something that was possibly my calling, right? But again, I also was stuck in a system that didn't always agree with me. (laughs) But I stuck it out and just tried to find like-minded programs that I believed in because that's very important to me because you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to believe in the people you're working for. And what I will say over the last 25 years is what once was a cause has become a multi-million dollar industry. And I've watched how that's evolved that. So then who does the multi-million dollar in- industry benefit? Well, it sounds like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's not benefiting the homeless. It seems no. to be benefiting the groups that are in control of the homeless situation. And to your point, we're throwing money that doesn't do it, get the job done. And even the homeless are complaining about well, they They're never really helped. And. I challenge anybody to walk up to any person on the streets. I guarantee you they will name a minimum five professionals they are probably right now actively working with, meaning five social worker, case managers, whatever, at a variety of agencies. And I can also guarantee if you do your research, you find that all these agencies are basically doing the same thing. So they're duplicating work, therefore we're throwing money. Rampant duplication of services, right? And so there's constant stepping on toes. Now, the problem with this is also because generally speaking, these agencies don't communicate. Nobody knows what the other person is doing for, say, privacy reasons. The problem with that is 
if they're working with four to five professionals, they're probably getting, <laughs> you know, just offered the, mul- the the same things over and over again by different people. Well, I'll yeah. give you, this is where we can get into some of the storytelling. One woman is an example, and there's multiple stories, examples. It's not anecdotal. This is boots on the ground, irrefutable facts, that one young woman has a mansion, tent mansion in Denny Park, a hotel room up through on a, through another organization up on 99, has a shelter over at the NAV Center, and we came around, said, hey, we're going to get you, you know, out of Denny, fully furnished, you know, three months emergency shelter. Because, well, she's in the park. She doesn't have housing. And I've actually started to pivot from saying homeless and houseless, this, you're experiencing houselessness too, mm-hmm. people living on the streets, people occupying space on the streets. Not everybody that's on the streets doesn't have a place to live or to lay their head that's down a at night. That's a great point. And this is some of the, you know, lack of coordination, which the uh, coordination or coordinated entry for all was supposed to solve, but it hasn't. And too many examples where I have housing, I have DESC an apartment, I have a tiny house, I have a hotel room. I may not even have one hotel room, but I have multiple, as Kevin was saying, multiple different people Places who helped me. to go. Do, well-intended do-gooders may even have a, also auntie who's hooked them up with the downstairs basement. Multiple options, but they are living the lifestyle outside because they're allowed to. One of the worst recent experiences uh, instances of this was down on Western Avenue. And I'm like... Oh, you know, it's been a year. It's been this encampment. You know, businesses have closed down. And another outreach organization said, yeah, half these people actually have hotels down at the Palladian on 2nd. What? Yeah, it's kind of a tough position. I'm like, about a week and a half later, We Heart Seattle and our volunteer group had 80% of Western cleaned up because we won't tolerate that. It's our, our mission is to kind of hold the city accountable and hold these programs accountable, but also let people know it's not okay for you to have double, triple, quadruple dips in our city and occupy a sidewalk. So that's a, that's a great example of what Kevin point is. The Kevin's point was, is that the homeless industrial complex, the system, if you will, five different agencies or what have you, or five different contacts, duplicative work. And you've just described it. And pumping people, pumping millions and millions. System. And then they get, Again, those beautiful Kimpton Hotel on on Fourth and Spring have most of the parks that have been uh, relocated or swept, whatever you want to say, are at a big part of the, the are occupying these hotel rooms. They'll go right back out and set up tents nearby because they don't have anything to do all day. And so, what I say to Mark Dones into this twenty seven million dollar conversation we're going to have here in a minute. I'm all for your $20 million for some downtown core housing for high-acuity folks, but give them something to do all day. And that's where you saw today with WeHeart. Have them come out and volunteer. Have them get job skill training. You know, Move them along to sustainable adulting so they're not outside all day with nothing to do. And then what, what ends up happening is they'll go set up another tent and – then in there becomes the syndicate again. Sure. And I think it goes to the, so you started this whole 
advocacy because you were you you were desperate. Well, I would agree. Like Seattle is literally dying, and you saw it. You're almost ready to throw your hands up. Then you have this great idea. We heart Seattle. You're going to do something about it. You've got buy-in, your own money, and you had a point that you ran out of tolerance to see the trash, see the blight. And so you spark an advocacy group. You've done a great job. And what you're doing through that advocacy, helping people, is you're peeling the Band-Aid or the cover off of the homeless industrial complex, the wasting of money. But you're doing something which you're driving, you know, literally a heart right through I don't know if I want to call it corruption. Maybe that's too strong of a word. But it's but but what you're is you're exposing the waste of millions of dollars and nothing is getting done. That's right. What we need, there needs to be better oversight. And these providers need to agree to with measure to have measurable results. Period. And that's the dirty little secret is no provider will agree to this when they sign these grants is measurable results. Why? Big no-no. Because measurable results forces you to prove that what you're doing is effective. Okay. So then if if you have those measurable results, that means they can't get the money stream coming anymore because you've solved the problem to a degree, right? Yep. And maybe that's the threat. Well, I too was told very early on when I was at Denny Park every single day. And again, at my day job, I was, the pandemic had hit. I wasn't traveling. I wasn't traveling for pleasure or work. Uh, Told to slow down with what was going on in my personal life. Had time to do it. I was out there every day. I have the advantage of living downtown core. Was told by other outreach organizations, Andrea, take a break. Slow down. Just like he heard. Just like Kevin heard. Slow down. You know, you're going to burn out. Other people, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. I never have. I never will. I will not burn out. And when people just got chills again, when people Literally. hear our opinions, they're like, Oh, you must be anti-homeless. Like, no, we're actually very pro helping these poor people on the streets. Right. We care enough to talk about the hypocrisy of this system that has kept them comfortable on the streets for decades. And that's what we're trying to tell is like, wake up. Like this isn't money is not really the solution. It's the approach. So let's get into that. So I think I've helped you out a couple of times and you, you mentioned you're out there every, every damn day crushing it. Let's talk about what does that look like? Cause it started with just the blight, the trash. You just had enough, right? The tents, just the utter decay. So what does it look like a typical day? So you, you boots on the ground, you have these volunteers, people that are uh, experienced homelessness, have been a part of the system that's not helping them, and they're actually being proactive, helping you solve problems. So you mentioned you started with Denny, but Kevin, you mentioned that you have to be a part of their lifestyle, meaning you have to have buy-in with them. Well, so they trust you. So let's get into that. Like, what does that, what does that mean? So you've developed great relationships with people that live on the street, that you found shelter, that have transformed their lives. What does that look like? You're developing that relationship. Yep. So they trust you. Yep. Kevin in his city started with 
the only thing that you could figure out how to do is just let's just start picking up the debris, the trash, the encampment artifacts. Getting some tongs, whatever, to protect yep. yourself and trash bags, right? Yep, just go out and start picking up the trash. And every day, you're what I call hyper-local daily intensive outreach, daily intensive trash pickup because the trash was constant. And the people living at, say, Denny Park, like, what is compelling you to come every day? You're back, you know, and... Next thing you know, I'm back again and back again and, you know, ask them about, have they been helped by anybody else? And they're like, well, we maybe see somebody once a month. From if, like, from like the city or the y- county? Yeah. If yeah. they're there, cause if, you know, but the, the model with, with WeHeart that was differentiator is that we led with waste management instead of leading with clean rigs and cookers and tourniquets and socks and bologna uh. sandwiches. They're like, you mean you're not here to hand me a clean needle? Like, no, they felt loved for the first time in a long time because an organization came around and didn't coddle them like an infant in a crib. We have treated our homeless population like they can't even make a decision now. The, the MDARs of the city state, we don't even believe that. A what human, is an MDAR for the audience? MDAR is the multi-department rules that they live and die and breathe on, on how they treat transient property. Okay, so the city and county officials, right? Yeah, all the, these, the, system. the bureaucracy of what you can and can't do. And a first time at Denny Park, people were saying, you know, this is the first time anybody's been so compelled to bend over and like pick up human excrement, soiled clothing, dead rats, dirty needles by the thousands, 10,000 needles year to date, 320,000 pounds of trash. And the homeless respect that and they respect not being harmed. I don't believe that this enablement, this is enabling people to die. Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by StopDefunding.com. The senseless trend of defunding police departments must be stopped. Over 200,000 reasonable citizens have already signed our petition and we need your help. Visit StopDefunding.com and add your signature to help us protect public safety. Now more than ever, our voices must be heard. Speak up at StopDefunding.com. Currently, with the current system I is believe doing. That it, it, well, they are. They're dying at a higher rate than they ever have before. And BIPOC community are dying at a higher rate than even ever before. So is harm reduction possibly racist in that by harm reduction, our most vulnerable population are dying at a higher rate? Is harm reduction overall to the community truly harm reduction when elderly are walking through parks getting stuck with needles or dogs or kids? kids? Police officers. I mean, is... You, your volunteers, have you guys been stuck? I've been been stuck with a needle at least five times. And my dog has rolled in more crap than I ever want to have to wash off her again. In fact, I might just throw my dog away at this point. <laughs> and, and yet you still show up every day. Yeah. I mean, one of Kevin will second this. The other key to the trust is showing courage and not mm-hmm. showing this oh, fear. Are you okay? You know, Oh, don't go to that camp. Don't go to, you know, even the downtown ambassadorship 
the reach programs. Don't get out of your car down at 4th and Jackson. For safety reasons. You know, don't get out of your car. Don't go to that camp. Only go in pairs. Only, And I don't have time for that. This is a state of emergency, was it not, six years ago? So if this is an emergency, then where is everybody? Because if this was an earthquake or Katrina or anything else, we would all be out there rolling up our sleeves in the mud in the in the rivers of sewage, saving lives and pulling people out of the water. But for some reason, this crisis is different, and everybody wants to sit behind a keyboard and talk about it. And and the picking up trash was an action as a strategy, unknowing at first I just wanted to pick up trash has become this, like you said, a pullback of calling out the absurdity. I don't consider myself a whistleblower or a watchdog, but in some ways it's like, wait a minute, what's the what's the needle exchange program again? Because why did I just pick up 10,000 needles out of McLean Trail? Or, you know, now they're giving away free foil to smoke fentanyl, fentanyl pills on. This is King County going out to Bitter Lake School Property, King County vehicles and staff with clean needles passing them out tent side. All, all for the sake of compassion. Public safety, but I say let's redo that study, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I just... And so you, you touched on it was because you were developing those relationships with people in the park mm-hmm. and that they said this was the first time they felt true compassion because you didn't enable their issue. Yep. And the first time they ever felt hope, too. Hope. We hearts yell. It's hope. This- it's the so secret. getting a needle or getting some tinfoil is not offering hope or compassion. That's enabling the reason why they're there. What we're doing is we are not enabling, we're empowering, right? We're treating them like adults. We're giving them responsibility. We are also showing no fear. Within the social service system, there's every reason in the book why not to approach the homeless person, right? We approach them. We work with them. We talk with them. We're not intimidated, Sometimes a houseless individual will process in front of us and be symptomatic and uh, admittedly at times challenging. But what we find is nine times out of 10, within five minutes of us standing our ground, they've become a completely different person and they're surprised that we're still standing there when every other time the, the teams are like, let's get out of here. And, it, it, and, that, I, that's, and that's where the trust, that's where the, the trust, trust builds. And once you've built trust, hope returns. Once hope is returned, you can help them with anything. Because now they believe again, someone gives it as yeah, Because you're there because you've got buy-in. Absolutely. Because we are there and we refuse to back down. And we don't scare the second something gets heated. We're yeah. here to be a part of this. Community. Community. And, it may, and, it's, and that really is the secret. Is when, you know, and then we, so so we'll, we transition into... I think what you're really highlighting, number one is just humanity. You guys are bringing it. You guys, your personalities match. You actually do work. You put in work that has tangible results, all for literally just picking up the trash that's on the, on the ground. That's what started this. So then we fast forward. We talk about the homeless industrial complex, the money, the system in and of itself. And then we have this latest piece, late October, pretty relevant, versus the, um, this comes from the Seattle Times. We'll share it in the link. Homelessness Authority has a vision for downtown Seattle recovery. But first, they're asking for $27 million. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this area has spent over a billion dollars in this issue. A billion with a B. 
for years. So you guys are going up against a billion-dollar industry. And here they are asking for more, more money. And the chief, chief executive of the Regional Homeless Authority, Mark Dones, is asking for $27 million for new facilities and outreach in an effort to solve chronic homelessness. If the proposal is funded and goes well, and this is the Times, it could be proof that the new regional homeless authorities leader can solve homelessness throughout the county. So this comes from Scott Greenstone. I've never worked with Scott, but it seems like there's there's different messaging come from media, and they seem to be trying to carry the water to a degree in this piece, advocating that $27 million of taxpayer money is going to be well spent to solve the problem. But here we are, a billion dollars in, you're describing that the money's not solving the problem. And here you go with boots on the ground, your own $25,000, your volunteers, making connections with the homeless. You guys are really driving a stake, no pun intended, in highlighting this, and they see you as a threat. Would you agree? I mean, there's definitely a track record of the city not welcoming we heart seattle at the table when we're we've been asking for a year we need to sit at that weekly wednesday meeting and sit with the other outreach organizations we're boots on the ground we're doing this every day we know that john doe is at green lake one day lake city way park the next day and up at capitol hill on the third day with four to five tents running different operations out of each operations like what do you mean well there's drug dealing pushing uh, manufacturing, um, prostitution. There's tons of sex trafficking, uh, day hotels. Uh, pardon my French, but there's a, you know drug dens. There's here's a tent, here's a chair, here's a catalog. Have fun. A lot of these tents are not homes. That said. What I would say to Mark Dones in this $27 million plan is, why didn't downtown, why didn't the DESC work? Why didn't Plymouth Housing work? Why didn't all these other permanent supportive housing that exist? And what is DES, DESC? The Downtown the, Emergency Shelter. It was born in the 70s. They're one it. of the high acuity. There's yep. 12 projects throughout the city. These are your very vulnerable folks, you know, multiple disabilities, mental, substance abuse, physical disabilities that are in these established properties ran by already well-funded in uh, city properties. I'm not saying we don't need more, but these folks still come out on the streets all day because they aren't given they don't have anything to rehabilitation. Do. And I know this isn't a popular word, but what I would say to Mark Dones is, your projects need to have accountability and some people maybe aren't safe to go outside. And that's the rub of forced, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, lockdown, like you're not well enough to be outside at all. Got it. Um, forced hospitalization or yeah, forced because they're physically unable to function properly outside where they could be exposed to criminality or what have you harm harming themselves. Exactly. There's a, we have encountered hundreds of individuals the last year who should be in locked psychiatrics, 100%. And frankly, have already housing at Plymouth, at DESC housing. And again, this is an anecdotal patterns upon patterns of, hi, young lady, how can I help you today? You know, you're 
in this big pile of scatter on a public sidewalk. Oh, I have an apartment at DESC. I have housing, but I don't like it there. So I, I still occupy the streets. So choice. Choice. And some people and will the, say, well, you know, she's in crisis. She hasn't had the mental acuity of course she's to in crisis. understand. Yes, that's why just simply giving them a house doesn't work. If they're high acuity, what I would say to this $27 million program, and 20 of it goes to housing, what will people be doing all day? Are they able to leave, and what are they going to do? And so when you, when you come into these sites where you're cleaning up the trash, you're helping people through your work and compassion. You're basically, to a degree, and you don't like the word accountable. I don't like it either because that's all the activists talk about, accountability. But they're being accountable to themselves because you're, you're putting work in to improve their life. Mm-hmm. They see that. So then they start putting work in. So how many volunteers that you've touched that were experiencing homelessness that participate in your actions? So we have over 200 registered volunteers, um, hundreds of folks that we've encountered that are living outside who automatically grab our rake, our gloves, our litter pitchers, and pitch in. They welcome us. It's very rare where someone says, I'm good, leave me alone. Um, It's a big problem, and people appreciate the help. And when people volunteer, we are very generous with basic needs stipends. So, um, you know, they appreciate getting maybe a basic needs stipend for Fred Meyer or QFC or Safeway so they can go pick out what they want. Um, This is a very common model among other cities as well, where basic needs stipends are provided in encampments to empower people to keep a neater camp. It also gives them a chance to put volunteering uh, on their resume when they're ready to think about work again. And we work with those credibility. Yep. We work with those folks to get their vital documents so we can send them to uplift Northwest, which is prior millionaires club. So as this movement has evolved, the outreach piece has become, you know, as much as the trash removal part and job rehabilitation, outreach work, vital documents, recharging cell phones, getting people eyewear, buying a pair of boots, you know. And, and that- the reason why that works because they see you every day and you've developed personal relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And you'd call them some of your friends. Yeah, we have people... I very much so. Yeah, it's a. And so that leads me to a transition where we talked about um, the, the piece from the Times about public, um, you know, $27 million. But then just about a month prior, the Seattle Times put out an opinion piece by Jenner, uh, Jennifer Hemmingson. And we'll put the link in the description. The title is Big Hearts There's Room for All the Citizen Led Responses to Seattle's Homelessness Crisis. So, in another sense, they're, they're basically highlighting your work, your advocacy giving you major props, talking about We Heart Seattle. And then when you compare those two articles, this this opinion piece, and then you have a, an opinion or another piece from the Times about a month and a half later talking about the $27 million ask or where that money is going to be spent. It, to me, it shows that you're, you're doing the work, but you don't have $27 million, and you actually have tangible results. And it's being recognized. Yeah, we have over 60 people in less than a year. Since January 4th was the first man we helped get into to rehab and, and back home to his family. Um, over 60 people 
there's a, a you know few scenarios where I'm not in touch with people anymore who've maybe made their way back onto the streets, but we have people who are in halfway houses, six month programs, um, back connected with family. They are in a couple cases. We have people who are actually running the front desk and, and intake for other um, housing programs that came from tents through WeHeart, fully employed and working and giving back. That's incredible. To now, what community. would be interesting is if you could compare and get the stats from the uh, the government groups, if you will. How many of those people are actually had the success stories that you've actually had hand in getting them out, out of that that lifestyle? Like, it'd be great to see that comparison, right? I don't even know how we track that. And so I would ask then, how do we track the money and where that money is being spent, the billion-dollar industry that it is? I think they'd be hard-pressed to show tangible results. Yeah, part of the another thing that came up the other day is there's no account. You don't have to even show for sure who you are to get the hotel and the tiny house in Seattle or the food stamp card when people come into town. So part of the reason why there never seems to be an improvement is there's an inflow issue into the state of Washington for people from out of state. Because um, why? Because it's just that you get all these handouts. It's there's for, no accountability. It's, it's free addle. And free one out. of the gentlemen that was down on uh, Elliott Avenue such a nice man, but he, he called me the other day. He says, I'm going by some other name. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> he gave me another alias. He goes, look, I, I can't get in with this name anymore. I'm using this name. If he comes up, I need you to still make my referral, but my name's this now. So now you've got people, because they're not required to have any form of identification, because, of course, people always have their stuff stolen, and they don't want to have ID, because then someone can run a warrant against them, and all these different reasons. But multiple people get multiple places and get in multiple different times into multiple housing without having to have good behavior because they can just say their name is Peter Pan. And so they make up a name. They make up a name. I mean, I've literally turned in half, probably the folks I've referred into the various shelters and gotten folks in surely are aliases. And uh, so maybe this is a good time to jump in and just to, to tell the viewership and the audience that, you don't violate their trust, meaning you don't turn people into the police, you don't run warrants, you don't have this relationship with the police that you've been accused of having, right? I mean, it's like you're there specifically to help them. I mean, obviously the police are there to help too, but there's that enforcement side, but you don't get into those waters at all. That's not your lane. No, no, not whatsoever. I mean... Because if, because if you don't have the trust with those people, they think you're some kind of police informant. What would happen to your outreach group? No, I mean, I, the homeless would, they're very, <laughs> they communicate. And actually, knock on wood, the word on the street with WeHeart is, ah, WeHeart's here. Awesome. Yes, I know you. I've walked by Third Avenue. I see your office. I've heard how you help people. You know, kudos from our homeless community. There's, of course, exceptions to that rule, but... For the most part, we are embraced, knock on wood, you know, we're still early. Sometimes it feels like the other shoe's going to drop and I'm going to make a blunder. We're a human. We're going to make mistakes. Um, and, of course, in the city, if you do, you'll, it's unreasonable sometimes the response that people will take towards you. But 
Um, we are, I, I want to share these stories, you know, because of calling out the system and how there's no accountability, but every one of the individuals that I've helped, uh, we sign a release of information. We sign off consent for me to take their property. I've driven people to rehab. I've driven them to the bus station. I've helped them get into, um, you know, pack their bags and into, uh, enhanced shelter, uh, fully furnished apartments, uh, we're doing that. And um, I, I would say there's other organizations that, you know, have accountability. Like I think the Salvation Army is great with what they're doing with uh, they have vans um, that do street level outreach. So they're bringing the outreach really to where people are at, uh, which has been great. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll transition to this Cairo piece. This came out beginning of this year in January and they're highlighting a grassroots movement to clean up Seattle streets and parks has turned into a humanitarian effort to help the homeless. It's another good piece that talks about you. The movement to clean up Seattle streets and parks has turned into a humanitarian effort to help the homeless. And tonight's Cairo 7 Community Spotlight, I'll explain how the organization's mission evolved in a matter of months. I was walking through downtown and just had a feeling of defeat on our city looking in ruins. Andrea Suarez saw this problem as an opportunity to take action. In September, she launched the community movement, I Heart Downtown Seattle, to clean up the city and parks overrun with trash. Parks and recreation cannot keep up with the amount of garbage that is being dumped into our city parks, created by our homeless community and created by well-intended donations, as well as illegal dumping. It's three specific things, and it's all part of the problem. So you, you highlight there the three situations. So give people advice when they, when they encounter that somebody that's panhandling, someone who appears to be homeless. What advice would you give the regular citizen who appears, and I'm not throwing judgment, but I've seen it. It's like, it, it seems as if people have their blinders on. They're going to come leave their door, their home, and they'll go to work or wherever have they have, and they just put the blinders on. They're not really paying it. They see the blight, but they're not doing anything about it. But yet they'll have somebody who panhandles at a light. There's this awkward, I don't want to stare kind of thing. What happens if you give them some type of money or something? What does that do in terms of, I think it's, you kind of highlighted it here just a bit in this piece. I mean, for your panhandler or spange, which is spare change, um, help a help a neighbor out you know that's not the issue there in the art of, in that piece the pulp bringing an entire buffet of food into an encampment in a park and then leaving it there assuming people are hungry assuming people just hadn't eaten bringing in 50 burritos when there's maybe 10 active people living there it's this exorbitant amount of overkill food it's almost like foisting leftovers on somebody and you're like ah oh, i just ate but okay i'll take your you know, like what you did to me this morning, you brought me some vending machine food. <laughs> I was like, I just ate, dude. Um, <laughs> you know? Well done, man. <laughs> but um, the, the amounting trash and rotting food and the issue with the rats, and that is bringing food tent side, RV side, in our city parks and in these encampments. Instead, I just ask society to think about making trash eradication, waste management, a part of your service. Everybody's working the food pantries. Everybody's making bologna sandwiches. Everyone's going to give out Thanksgiving dinners. Is most of that outside of the government funds to get people out of homelessness? Is a lot of that just people like trying to just help? It's just all they know. They're just, even the faith-based groups I've worked with, 
they're like, you know, yeah, we've got a problem with the trash too. Just thank you for inspiring us. You know what? We're going to start thinking about the trash more. But as you tour through the encampments, more often than not, you see a huge box of food that's been laid there and it's just eaten alive by the rats. It's been rained on. What I would advise people to do is go into the camp and make a relationship with a few people. and Maybe invite them to actually go to lunch with you. Go to coffee. Instead of bringing them a 50 crap, you know, actually most people do like those cheeseburgers at McDonald's and Dick's, but, you know, ask somebody to come to lunch with you. If you really want to care about somebody, instead of just treating them, even uh, uh, the folks up at Miller Park, they're like, what are we, just a bunch of pigs in a trough? Look at all these people just brought 20 dishes for us. I mean, they were even offended. Like, so, what are we, animals? So, yeah, so that's not really compassion. Well, in last year, we were actually at the same location. We were at all three together today, and we watched as a person dropped off cases of Swanson frozen dinners. My question is, how are they supposed to heat these dinners? So they were giving them frozen Swanson dinners at this homeless encampment. There frozen? Was, yeah, no possible way to heat these suckers up. That made no sense to us. And we're like, stop, what are you doing? This is rat food. You've literally just dropped off food for the rats. No homeless person is going to grab these. I mean, this is nothing more than a dump job. You might as well just be illegally dumping. It is. It, it Nobody is. will eat those. I, that, and then we came back the next day, and by that time it was already uh, rained on and spread out, and already eat, rats were eating at it. Now the it was unfrozen. So the you know we have the NAV tier team here in the police department that's been obviously politicized by some of the council members. Um, they think that police are just arresting homeless people at random and taking their property and just enforcing the criminal criminality part of it. Um, and they just were at uh, I think uh, up north. It might have been I forget where, but there was a a lady who had been in a homeless situation for four years at the same location on a park bench. The amount of rats that were living underneath her on the pallets, they said it was in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. And so we talked about it today, like you and I, Kevin. It was like, th- this, is, this is a humanitarian and environmental crisis, emergency. It's not just people. We're talking about the environment. The amount of trash that is accumulated in these encampments but the disease that you can encounter through the rats the infestation the food it's almost biblical if you just to wrap your head around it it's it's that it's almost plague like if you will this this is that type of serious situation am, am i wrong having that because i've only i haven't done the outreach that you have obviously i've been there a couple of times but i'm literally aghast by what i see how do you maintain your positive demeanor to continue going forward, given that this is a humanitarian and environmental nightmare? Well, a lot of people will tell us this problem is too big to solve. And it can feel that way when there's one or two or three or four people working at it, right? But what we like to say is daily, small daily differences add up to big differences, we can't, we can't end this crisis today, but what we can do is go to one encampment and solve that, right? Start small, work at it every day, go block to block, park to park. And that's always been our attitude. Focus on an area, do our best, and move on to the next one. 
And these daily differences have added up to hundreds of thousands of pounds of trash, multiple people into housing, uh, hundreds of volunteers, and it just continues to grow. As we grow, these small daily differences actually start becoming bigger differences. Next thing you know, we're going to activate an entire city uh, that'll be at every park every day in every green space, working with every homeless person, building that trust, bringing back that hope. And what is activating in the entire city? Is that activating the community? Yes, activating the community, getting people to finally listen and participate in this civic engagement. And so activating the community is not... I mean, it's, it's one thing to just show up and deliver food. We've talked about that. I mean, that's some sort of compassion that somebody might have that mindset with. But what you're ta- you've talked about, and hopefully they, they, they hear this, is that you just need to switch it a bit. Yeah. That's not true compassion. True compassion we is... Ad- we admire the passion. It. It's like, yes, it, it shows that you care. We just got to just tweak it just a bit. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then so obviously we'll get into more of your detractors here. Um, and a piece just came out on, in Como and the reporter, Jonathan Cho, who's done a good job, you know, talking about what the situation in Ballard, which is an absolute catastrophe. I can't imagine what those neighbors in the community is living with on a daily basis. Um, but here just kind of highlights the people that are throwing shade at you is what I like to call it. Yeah, where was that first complaint? Who's behind it? Is it the unions? Is it the activists? Pointed questions from the founder of a homeless outreach group after being told to stop picking up trash in and around encampments across the city. Seattle city leaders say the group called We Heart Seattle is causing more harm than good, but the nonprofit refuses to stand down. Como's Jonathan Cho is live with this Project Seattle story. Jonathan? Yeah, Erica, the city's worried some of these little belongings out here could be accidentally thrown away or volunteers could be hurt. But we heard about the city's approaching bullying. Not the best idea. Is this trash or personal belongings? For the past year, Andrea Suarez says We Heart Seattle's made that distinction. It would not go inside somebody's tent to pick that up. And has always asked campers for permission before clearing garbage at encampments across the city, like this one here on Shilshol Avenue in Ballard. Also engage and build trust and relationships with the people living here. So that's it right there. It's engaging and building trust. So you don't go into somebody's private, basically a home. It's their tent. It's their personal property, constitutionally protected property. So you don't go inside their tent, take anything from them. If anything, you ask permission. If they want to have what would be considered probably trash that's outside of their tent, that is creating the blight, creating the hazards, you ask them for permission, correct? Correct. But why is the activist class pushing back on you? Oh, man. That's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. Loaded question. It seems um, reasonable to me. Okay. There is ideology at play, and that is exactly what Seattle is Dying uh, talks about as well, is there's no political will for, for the ideology to come together and build this bridge. There, there are opposition, the activists have an ideology of meeting people where they're at. Solidarity over charity. It's been, in my opinion, radicalized to the point where mutual aid is a good thing. And Kevin can kind of talk about it's a hundred year old philosophy of in times of crisis, you come out and you help people in need and make sure everybody stays above water. And, but in Seattle, it's turned into solidarity over charity is leave people alone, leave them where they're at. 
No one's knocking on your door, Mike, and asking you if you need your trash taken out or if you need a job or if you need drug rehab or if you need a vaccine or how dare you go up and offer him dental services, which is what I did at Miller Park and I handed out flyers. And they're like, oh. activists are like, oh. you know, no one's coming up and telling you you have bad teeth. And then a day later, uh, Andrea Suarez thinks all homeless people have bad teeth. That was the line. Because she was offering Who said services. that? The activist the class? Activists. The keyboard warriors. The social justice so keyboard warriors she, that are unreasonable. That's great what work. they concluded after she was trying to get people connected to dental services. And so what you're describing, and this is, I think, the connection sometimes with just the police world, how we've been maligned and besmirched. I'm not comparing our situation to you, but for me, when I see this, the activist class, the Twitter mob is what I refer to them as. They're the ones that bully our council to do their bidding. They're very, very small, but they're extremely loud. They are the vocal minority, for sure. They do not represent Seattle's values, in my opinion, but yet they dictate not only the public safety political discourse with police, but they're dictating everybody's public safety living conditions with the way that they bully you because when you're just trying to do the right thing. So in a sense, they're the ones who have put us in this predicament due to their bully tactics. And if you dare do anything outside of the homeless industrial complex, the money, you're a threat. Well, well the mutual aid, some of the folks that associated with the mutual aid groups are in, do work for some of the outreach groups. I know that. So there's some overlap there. I don't consider our homeless industrial complex also that necessarily the activists that's okay. been, you know, putting flyers. Unreasonable. Flyers all over town with. Yeah, your face. Horns coming out of my head and, 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 and going up to homeless people saying, don't talk to We Heart Seattle. Meanwhile, they're you know planting tomato gardens around somebody who just died of an overdose on our watch because they said, "Don't talk to people about drug addiction. How dare you? You know you're not welcome here at Bitter Lake. You're not welcome here at Woodland Park." Despite I'm getting people housing, I'm getting people jobs. They are welcoming our outreach. This activist group, who's you know joined by the likes of Antifa and again radicalized versions of these philosophies, and I have also gotten doxxed. I've had my employer, you know, I knew it was coming because we were following the Twitter mob, and I'm like, oh, gosh, called my boss, called my boss's boss, called my CEO of my company and said, and sure enough, Monday morning, yep, they got a hold of Germany, and one, why, are, why are they calling you white, white supremacist, racist, fascist, Nazi? The same narrative against the police. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? And everybody just laughs it off because, like, even interna- even nationally, my headquarters is in Florida, and they're like, you know, oh yeah, Seattle politics, you know, kind of did. They just kind of laughed it off, but, but, but that that's the problem. Now, you can't just label people that way. With these radicalized people, from day one, we have said a hundred times, we want to try and work with you. Accept that there's differences, but let's work together with this common goal. We have never said it's us against them. And nowhere will you find us hitting below the belt. We've always been... You've been pros. 
pros yeah. and respectful because we are pros. We're here to solve a very serious issue. And uh, uh, every time we have kind of, again, offered olive branches, uh, it, it's impossible, A, to get a name or a phone number to ever talk with them in any normal, normal mature way. And what we normally hear is meet us on, what we hear, what they like to say is meet us on Instagram. We're like, well, what does that mean? We're not in middle school. We're adults here. Let's talk. Let's talk right now. Let's get coffee. Let's understand this. Let's hash this out. Don't just hide behind your computer. Yeah, and act all We're here tough. right now. Let's fix this. So, here, so get, here's, here's yeah. a great example of the, how they try to malign and besmirch you yeah. guys, where that, you know, you're going into their tents violating their rights. And this is just obviously activists trying to put a narrative, a description against you that's false. This is how they do it via the social media mob. While they're not here. While they're not here. You're literally trespassing. You are literally trespassing. He's going in this tent right now. Literally trespassing in this fucking tent and taking shit out of it. So how'd you handle that one? We, well, the gentleman that went into that tent uh, apologized and he's like, I'm sorry, I caused your organization a lot of harm and uh, I'm going to expel myself for 90 days. And he went, you know, I kind of just said, hey, look, you know, let's just move on. It was a tent full of bike parts and nobody rocks was in and there. No one, no blanket, no pillow. In fact, one of our volunteers that you met today, he, he owns that whole encampment there. He's, it's kind of a de facto sanctioned camp for the VA. And after two hours and 45 minutes of being berated and harassed by this mutual aid group, um, including one of my grandmother's uh, volunteers, who's a grandmother, was assaulted that day. She had her cell phone whacked out of her hand. It was just nuts. Um, you know, I was like, hey, let's just move on. And uh, at the time, it's like, Bill was like, no, 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 no. Yelled. That I, I should never have gone in that tent. I knew, you know, sure, th that's not good policy. We don't go into tents like that, you know. But he, he was, he was so broken down after two and a half hours of these guys following us around, calling us violent monsters, clenched fists. The that litter pick was originally supposed to be in Ballard Commons, and this particular radicalized group of mutual aid there put it out on Twitter. They're going to be there at eleven. Let's go in at eight and thwart their efforts. And I was like, great. They're going to go clean Ballard Commons. Let's pivot up to Beacon Hill. So I, I actually considered it a win. Well, they followed us all the way to Jefferson Park that day. And, you know, Bill was like, he works at the VA, nicest guy in the world. You know, he's just like, he was, I think, at the time trying to make a point. There's nothing in here, you know, that we still should not go in there and tell sure. someone. So what, so what were the lessons learned for you and your organization that day? Because you, it, it's, it, again, it reminds me of the police, how we're videotaped and all that. Yes, yeah. we're government entities. We take, we earn taxpayer money. That's how we get our salaries. But we're also met at the same time with this type of unreasonableness where people are literally in your face videotaping you, screaming at you. It's a very difficult environment to work in. Yep. Jumping in our trucks, pulling out the garbage we've already disposed of with needles and mattresses and soiled clothing. They were, you know, really in our faces that day. What we learned, we're a new organization. That was a misstep. We apologized for it, and we moved on. They did not move on. 
they proceeded to create more shade, flyers, turn homeless against us, um, doxed me. Yep, I, <laughs> the list goes on. I mean, you know you've been there. I, I mean, know you. We could talk for hours. We really could. Of all the negativity we've experienced. I'll give you a couple just examples. Um, some of these more radicalized type volunteers um, hearing that we're about to do a cleanup would go there beforehand and literally warn the hom uh, homeless, you are not to talk to them, you're not to accept help. And so then we would arrive already with an established relationship with these individuals saying, uh, I don't think I'm supposed to talk to you. And these are people that we are actively working on getting housing and this close to actually getting them housing. And we actually, they actually lost the housing because they felt they weren't allowed to do it because these other volunteers say, don't work with WeHeart. So they're now preventing people from getting indoors. Another example that happened in Denny Park is once we were um, starting to clean up the park, some of these activists showed up and, you know, yelled at us for hours as we're just trying to pick up trash and rotting food and we're seeing rats scattered everywhere. And this is when there were 64 camps. I went into the playground area of Denny Park and uh, proceeded to pick up an uncapped needle below one of the the swings swings and one of the activists ran up to me and started screaming at me that i was stealing someone's belongings i said ma'am this is an uncapped needle literally in a child's playground what possible issue and i said this could you have with this they're like you don't know who this belongs to shame on you started taking photos of me for all i know it's on instagram somewhere um, like, and I was like, oh my God, just rolled my eyes, put it in the sharps container and moved on and just kept working. So you're under the microscope for sure. And so that's a great example. This is what they are doing is even when er I would say everyone else in the entire world would agree that it should be okay to pick up a used uncapped needle in a public park, literally under a, a swing, uh, that, uh, that should be okay. It defies common sense. It defies and common sense. And once you realize it defies common sense, it's much easier to work around them. <laughs> sure, because you just... Then you just you like, keep, look, you just keep going. It just becomes this sort of, uh, you know, this white noise. I wish... I wish <laughs> Kevin, you just nailed it. I wish that our elected officials could take that saying that you just said and believe in that. Don't get bullied by these people. Do the right thing. Act in reason and common sense, and maybe we'd be in a better situation. Just, I mean, just like the blue tent gate that happened. Yeah. We have common sense, critical thinking. This is someone's property. It's a home. It's a structure. It looks, you know, lived in. This is not lived in. And who, at what point can volunteers or the city start to move on what I would say is 30, if not 40% of the blight you see in the city lines as you roll into the city, as you roll into a park, even what you saw up on Beacon Ave South today, half the tents are empty and full of empty, garbage. Full I mean, of you garbage. saw it just full of garbage. But the city's like, that's they're on vacation. They're in jail. They'll be back. Well, we'll get them a new tent when they come back. Right now it's full of needles, trash, and rats. So let's clean up the city and then see what we're actually what we actually have here. You know, and then... And let me share also mentioning that in most of these tents aren't occupied by people. 
storage or used for other purposes. Uh, Andrew and I were at Danny Park again last, I think, November with Councilman Lewis, and I had just finished counting the tens, and I had counted 64, right? And the counselor, he's been told, or, you know, that uh, on at, what they're saying is that there's 1.75 people per tent. So 64.1.75 is over 100. And the counselor asked me, how many people do you think are in this park? And I'm like, well, it's definitely not 100. And Andrew and I just quickly guesstimated there's maybe no more than 15. 15 people. He's like, 15? There's 64 tents. So I was like, look, we've done this for a while. A lot of these probably aren't occupied. And we were right. So after a several-day period, we learned that there was, I guess, basically that was a pretty accurate number. 15 active people living in Denny Park, yet the system, the social services, everyone said there's more than 100. Now, think about it when we were backing up to talking about the homeless industrial complex. If you think about 100 people in a park, you're going to ask for funding enough to help 100 people. That's it. Think about that. That's it. But if there's actually only 15, so they're counting tents, not people. And why do you think people are so mad at us when we want to take down an old dilapidated tent? And what we've seen, and early on when we were still trying to restore Denny Park, is when we would remove a tent with the buy-in from the homeless around us, outreach groups would show up a day later and put up a tent in the identical spot. True story. I'm convinced that you guys, you're creating a dent into the pocketbooks of people in these special interest groups. Unfortunately, I think that's happening. And again, oh, well. Oh, well. (laughs) You know, we're here to end this crisis. The fact is there's people... That will never on you will never get your needs met living in a park. We want everybody housed. We want everybody off the streets. We want everyone to have supportive care. We want them to have counseling and treatment and work with their families. We want all of that. But that's not happening. That's all we're trying to say is let's just, oh my gosh, people, let's start thinking about this differently. It's a fantastic way to put it. So we've been going at it for about an hour and a half. Um, I just want to wrap it up with a positive piece on your group is I feel as if there's a lot of positivity with you guys. We've talked about the negative side, but unfortunately that's part of the discussion, right? I mean, this is a, it's a major issue, not just impacting Seattle, but the, the, the West coast. Um, if people want to check it out, we'll have the link in the description. It comes from the Seattle journal and it was authored um, on February of 2021 describes Andrew Suarez and we heard Seattle and it's a great piece. Don't just read the opening paragraph. Andrea Suarez, a completely awesome force of nature, is a logistics pro living in Bel- Belltown with her husband and puppy. Last fall, she became taking on the task of cleaning up the public spaces around her, invent, uh, invented herself as a volunteer caseworker for unsheltered people, put together a great logo, printed some cards and vests, and just started making it up as she went along. What was originally I Heart Seattle downtown is now We Heart Seattle and her small army of helpers is growing. And then she mentions your Facebook page and then don't forget to throw some money at your organization. It's got a picture of you two. What I'm looking at might be Denny Park or in Miller Park. I'm not sure. Denny. This is Denny, yeah. Um, it's fantastic what you guys are doing. I'll give you the last word, um, but if you could for the audience... What's your website and how can they find you and help your philanthropy? Our website is weheartseattle.org. Uh, we are a nonpartisan 
um, action as a strategy coalition that's volunteer-led for more beautiful and safe Seattle for all. And we invite anybody and anyone to volunteer uh, with us. You can sign up at our website. Uh, you can join our Facebook page, which is also We Heart Seattle. It's very positive. We don't allow insults or keyboard warrior comments. Uh, we try not to do finger pointing. Uh, the city asking us to stand down in Ballard did spark a little bit of controversy on the page, and we let that roll. But for the most part, it's a safe place there on Facebook. Uh, donations are welcomed. It helps us pay for uh, all of our supplies, insurance, uh, basic need stipends for our unhoused folks that pitch in and help. Uh, we are starting to scale and bring on full-time staff and case managers. Uh, so donations are welcome. And I uh, just really appreciate the time here. And uh, I love this city so much. So it's glad, glad to be here and get the word out. Epic. Kevin? Well, I just wanted to finish by saying that, you know, our goal isn't just with bringing back hope to our houseless population, but to everybody. Let people in Seattle believe again that we can do this. This problem does seem overwhelming, but if we all work together and do these small daily differences, it's going to add up. If we could just energize this entire city to stand up once and for all and just be like, enough is enough. Let's do this. We can do it. And so we're here just to bring back the hope. Awesome. It's been a pleasure having you guys here. I really appreciate you taking the time and the courage. It's humbling to me. Um, gives me hope for this city. And I want to thank you for all you've done. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very moving. So thanks again. Hey, welcome back. I just wanted to give a brief update to episode 19. As this episode was going to edit, Jonathan Cho with Como4 came out with a new piece that really illustrates, on top of what we talked about in episode 19, how We Heart Seattle is really making a tremendous impact and completely upshowing the homeless industrial complex, those millions of dollars that are just being wasted. So We Heart Seattle solved a significant problem that has been impacting Ballard. And that situation with Lawnmower Man has plagued that community for a little over a year. And so Como 4's Jonathan Cho captures this story and how Andrea and Kevin, We Heart Seattle, solved this problem literally almost overnight. After multiple complaints and ineffective outreach by the city, a local nonprofit convinced Charles Woodward to get rid of most of his belongings and start over. Como's Jonathan Cho is live with the latest in this Project Seattle story. Jonathan? Yeah, Eric, neighbors aren't used to this. It's totally clear out here after volunteers removed all the lawnmowers and wooden structures blocking the sidewalk. Congratulations, Charles. I'm really proud of you and the way you handle a piece of wood. But Charles Woodward is letting go of his past. And volunteers with We Heart Seattle are now trying to help him rebuild his future. Piece by piece, he just kept saying, yep, you can take this. For the past two weekends, Andrea Suarez and her crew removed thousands of pounds of wood and scrap metal from his encampment, including all the lawnmowers that once occupied the corner of 8th Avenue Northwest and 49th Street. This is why neighbors called him Lawnmower Man. You cannot come out here and harass people. We first spotlighted the story last month after neighbors called us for help, complaining about Woodward being a menace to the community, playing loud music at night, and also threatening anyone who approached him. So can you imagine just living in that area, the, the, the generator, the loud noise, his 
Um, I think his aggressive attitude, but we heard Seattle, as they described in episode 19, solve this problem. And they started two weeks ago. They did something that the homeless industrial complex could not solve. Can you imagine this nonprofit, what they could do outside of the homeless industrial complex's influence for the entire city? This is a nonprofit started by people in this community that had enough. And I'll let the piece continue. He said to me, Andrea, I'm tired of being angry. And I think he's just worn out. Suarez you know? says after and watching our story, like, she wanted to take a different approach. As we treated him like a human being with dignity and respect. But along with this personal touch, she says the threats by vigilantes also helped him realize it was time to move on. Recently, someone came by and shattered his van's window. The city also tried to offer him housing and services, but that didn't work. I think he was there for at least a year. So neighbors here say they're just amazed at what this nonprofit accomplished in such a short amount of time. Gave him something the city wasn't giving him. And that's why they had an impact in the city did. WeHeart's success is also getting the attention of Councilmember Dan Strauss, who represents Ballard. Just a few weeks ago, Suarez says Strauss told her group to stand down with their encampment cleanups and outreach program, saying it was a distraction. Yeah, in fact, what Councilmember Strauss said was that um, that their work was a distraction. And that was causing a problem for the government interest in terms of all this spending of uh, the homeless industrial complex not solving it. And she was up showing them. So he was basically saying, stop doing what you're doing. You become a distraction. Well, now look what she's done. And then now you've seen Councilmember Strauss completely pivot. And Jonathan Cho is going to point that out in just a second. But today he sent us a statement that reads in part, I'm glad when volunteers are able to interact positively with unsheltered residents, redeploying efforts where they're needed and leaving sites of critical focus to governmental and community leaders. And he was like, just take it all. Suarez says for now, um, it's at least a start. So that goes to show you that she led with compassion and empathy, true human to human contact that solved this problem that the government interest couldn't do. And so, folks, I'm telling you, the only way to change this for our city is to get involved and use Andrea's vision, her leadership, her courage to be your beacon, to be your guide. We can do it together. We can circumvent the homeless industrial complex to solve our problems because we as a community are in charge of our city not the activist class that influence our government leaders to do their bidding. We can change Seattle. Andrea and We Heart Seattle, along with Kevin, are showing us the way. And it's time we got behind them, that nonprofit. So go to their website, contribute, get involved. All right, so there you have it. We Heart Seattle, great group of people that deeply care about Seattle. And what I think that ties into as well is, number one, this is about money. And in terms of public safety and the houseless industrial complex, all this is intertwined. And how does this relate to police work? And my role as a SPOG union president is I'm worried about the budget and this whole defunding nonsensical activism that has enveloped our profession post George Floyd. 
And we've seen the riots impact the Pacific Northwest, particularly in Portland and Seattle. And hundreds of millions of dollars, virtually hardly any accountability for the mob that attacked police and public property. But it's quite telling that the elected officials who supported the nonsensical activism of defunding um, are recently pivoting because the crime spikes are absolutely through the roof and people are being killed because there's no police. Because we've been maligned and besmirched. The human being that does the job of policing has been targeted and people have had enough. And we've had a lot of people, officers, just leave because they're tired of being targeted for political purposes. So notice, though, that the politicians now are pivoting to a pro-public safety message. Go figure that that would happen. So now we've got the city of Portland budgeting in an increase of $5.2 million, um, where this Portland voted to cut $15 million in funding of its police agency in June of 2020. Now they're asking for more money. Links in the description. And then I transition here locally to failed political candidate Lorena Gonzalez, who's currently the president of the city council, when she recently just tried to sneak in an amendment to the council budget to remove 101 police jobs, cutting $15 million. And we'll have a link in the description. But just here's a piece from Como that highlights this nonsensical activism. The Seattle police budget had the interim police chief and the outgoing Seattle City Council president squaring off today. Lorena Gonzalez wants to cut 101 vacant officer positions and she accused the chief of fear-mongering in a video message he released. Camos Cole-Miller joins us live to break this all down for us as well as the results of tonight's vote. Cole? Mary, there is a lot to unpack here, a lot of moving pieces with this. That last-minute amendment from Gonzalez sought to cut those unfilled positions. During this meeting, she was insistent that SPD had no intention of filling them and that this would only bloat their budget if this amendment wasn't passed. Ultimately, however, the council struck that amendment down. Thank God. Policing in Seattle has been and continues to be a topic of contention. And that was all too clear yet again today with City Council President Lorena Gonzalez pushing to eliminate 101 vacant officer jobs during an hours-long discussion over next year's budget. Nothing in this budget or in my amendment proposes firing, laying off, or otherwise eliminating funded and filled sworn officer positions. Sounds like she's going against the will of the voter right there who recently just said, hey, we don't want you as our mayor. But here you are, it appears out of spite doing more unreasonable activism on behalf of the activist class that supports you. It no doubt caught the attention of Interim Chief Adrian Diaz responding in a recorded message, in his words, saying it would permanently eliminate those posts. This would greatly jeopardize the safety of our communities and have long-term impacts on investigating violent crimes it's true. and caring for our most vulnerable. And Gonzalez quickly fired back, saying the department's funding should reflect its actual staff, without money for those openings. He is apparently demanding a blank check and zero fiscal accountability or scrutiny. As the debate continued, others thought doing away with those dollars sent the wrong message. Rather than cutting the currently vacant positions, I, I would urge us to instead focus on expanding reforms by revamping the police union contract. And when the dust settled, five council members voted against it with four in favor. The motion fails and the amendment is not adopted. 
There you go. There you have it. There's the politics. Encouraged to the uh, council members that voted no on that. It shows that there's hope in Seattle and that they're listening to the Seattle voter. So please like and subscribe to the channel and hear the message from We Heart Seattle. Support your public safety and just get involved. Get involved with your community. And together, maybe we can all continue to hold the line. Thanks for watching.